morning it might be helpful if we consider in a little bit more detail um, those verses that we read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, where the Lord Jesus did in fact um, bestow blessing on those children who were brought to him. And there's something in here that's um, important for us as Christian adults as well. And there's also a message in this, these few verses and their associated verses from Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel for those who are not yet believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very significant event in the life of our Saviour. It's mentioned, in, as I mentioned, in three of the Gospels. So um, a matter doesn't get repeated like that for no reason at all. And importantly, if you read through the accounts that we have in the three Gospels, each one is slightly different from the other. All mention some matters, all three do, but each one gives us a little bit more, a little bit more, so that we get a fairly full, a very full and complete record of the occasion. Some of the great truths that we can easily tease out of these chapters, is, of these verses, is first of all the great love of Christ for the children of the world. It's a, it's a generalised uh, blessing that he um, mentions here that uh, doesn't apply to only Israeli children, say. It is, we could make much of that, but it, our Saviour's love for children, full stop. We can see too, as we go through here, the significance of the of children in the divine scheme of things, that was a, it was a matter that was challenged by the uh, disciples who were there, and we'll look at that in a moment. And it brings a correction and an emphatic correction on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ to wrong attitudes towards those who are bringing children and the children who are being brought to Him. And fourthly, and very importantly, it identifies the manner of entry into the kingdom of God. In reading in preparation for this morning, I was um, very moved going through John, um, John MacArthur Jr.'s commentary on this passage. And uh, he was reminiscing, actually. It's not like him, but uh, in his... Uh, his before his major comments, he was reminiscing about the importance for Christians of our age and like, like ages um, to think back on the blessing that it is to remember songs like the one we just sang. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book of his given. Wonderful things in the Bible, I see this as the grace that Jesus loves me and so on Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible talk and he was re reminiscing a little bit about that and uh, in, do in doing so and looking elsewhere I came across uh, another great thinker who has reflected on the importance of this matter that we can trivialise um, to our loss and that was the uh, great Swiss theologian Karl Barth. 
he was giving a series of lectures in 1962 and uh, this, this particular lecture that I'm referring to was given uh, on the campus of the University of Chicago in the Rockefeller Chap Chapel there. And uh, these interested students were listening to the great man giving his address and at the end of it he was taking questions and trying to answer issues that were of significance to the students. And one of them raised the question with him whether he could summarise briefly um, his life as a theologian um, and with all the trimmings and trappings that went with his rather um, august career. And he, he paused after the question and he thought, and he said, yes, I, yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we're dealing with an issue that was so foundational that this great man of God, in looking back over his career, could put this in a very central position. So we, we need to realise that we are, we're talking about a matter of great substance here. From, um, we, so we, we've got from the three, and we'll refer to all three of the gospel records of it, we've got very solid uh, warrant for that joyful assurance that uh, Karl Barth was able to give to his student audience on that day. We've already mentioned in relation to Diana and Victor and Lola. Now, whether um, we are the parents of children or anybody else, any other role uh, entrusted with the care and spiritual well-being, we've got this emphatic lesson to take on board this morning. Jesus had been teaching, if we go into the earlier part of chapter 19, Jesus had just been teaching the apostles and the other disciples there about marriage, divorce, remarriage and singleness that's in the verses 3 to 12 in the same chapter and now this other group of people uh, were coming seeking ministry from him children were being brought to him to be blessed and as I mentioned each of the three gospels records that they brought them it doesn't say parents it doesn't say carers it just says the word they uh, uh, Presumably, and most of the commentators um, agree on this, it was majority would have been parents who were bringing the children to the Lord Jesus. But it's sufficiently general for us to take encouragement that whoever we are and whatever our role is towards children, we have the responsibility and the privilege of bringing them to the Saviour. And this matter of bringing the children that was going on on that occasion was not just um, they bringing them, had a go and, and moved away. The, word had, the, the connotation of the word is that it was an ongoing process. There were people bringing children over a period of time. It was something that um, didn't, not just a five-minute phenomenon sort of thing, but it was an ongoing process. And the word that Matthew uses um, concerning the children who were being brought refers to young children from infancy up to toddler age. 
quite young children, and the equivalent word used in Luke's account records that they were even bringing their babies to him. So we're on sound ground this morning when we're dedicating little Lola as well as the older siblings to our Lord. We can distill from those details that our Lord is ongoingly ready to receive children and to bless them. It wasn't just for a little while. It was something that continued. And our Lord is always ready to receive. And our figurative bringing of children to the Lord includes precious young lives from their earliest childhood. So these are just issues that we might need to settle in our minds. And whatever our relationship to the children whose lives we can influence is, it's an opportunity and responsibility that he's given to us. There's a few identifiable biblical factors for us to bear in mind um, in connection with bringing children to Christ. The first is a remembrance of how significant it has always been. Our brother read to us some of those uh, verses from uh, the Old Testament. I'm thinking too of Psalm 139 where we read, Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Each child is made by God. Each is created by him. Each little one is a significant and individualised work of God. Um, within the womb and being formed and then being born. And it's God's plan for each child to be faithfully taught concerning the way of salvation. Proverbs 22 verse 6 exhorts us to train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Now that's the, these are Old Testament scriptures of which we could we could just go on and on with them but The thing is to remember that it was of the Lord that this little child, each little child, has been conceived and born and brought to this point in time and where we have the opportunity of taking them forward. And it's, again, the Lord's purpose that they should be trained up in the right way. We are consistent with biblical and divine intention when we're seeking to um, provide services will provide help to children to come to Christ. And the importance of that teaching is underlined for us in our our New Testament. I look for sort of thought for an example and I would think of of Timothy above um, perhaps most others. Um, Lois, his mother, uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice are recorded in 2 Timothy 3 as having taught him the sacred scriptures which are able to give wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be in remembrance of the significance of events but active in the actual propagation of the word of God to our young children. In in Deuteronomy 6 um, we have these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. 
these words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. Yes, we, we're to take them in, but we're also, as the Lord then goes on commanding them, to teach this godly truth to our children, speaking about such matters freely, openly, normally, in the usual intercourse of family life, that we are to be those who speak about, apply in our living, and uh, in conversation, introduce our children to the matters pertaining to our Lord and Saviour. God's word is to be taught and to be exemplified before them. It, children are particularly adept at seeing through something that is just a, a, a statement but doesn't get supported by our way of life. So we need to be those whose lives are not only filled with knowledge about the scriptures but living out the word of God in our everyday life. Now, after that very um, quick sort of outline of it all, I just want to follow this the process through that took place on that day. Here we had people, presumably parents, bringing children to the Lord Jesus Christ that he might bless them. But there was a, an immediate and a recorded impediment. There was a big rebuke. In fact, there were two rebukes. There was a rebuke given by the disciples to those who were bringing the children, and there was a more severe rebuke given by our Saviour to those who were rebuking. So the rebuke and the rebuke of the rebukers, if you like. First of all, the rebuke by the disciples to those who were bringing um, the children. They, and I've tried to put myself in the, in the boots of some of these, but they were clearly resentful about people coming and just taking um, the Lord's time and energy in bringing their children there. Um, and, and they were quick in responding. And the words used here about their rebuke was it carries the element even of threatening. It's, it's a very severe rebuke that the disciples are giving to the people who brought those children to the Saviour. Now, those men had been with the Lord for two years, plus or minus. They'd been able to hear his words of ministry. They'd been able to watch what he was doing and sense the motivation of his heart in what he did do in the healing of people, in the ministry of the word of God and so on. But pretty clearly they still did not share his mind or heartbeat, certainly not on this particular issue. And that's a sobering thought for somebody who's been a Christian for quite some time, for me. Um, I've got to take on board what, what is, would my attitude be in that situation and my response to situations and opportunities and, and so on and ministries um, in my generation, in, my, in this day. Well, in that instance... Um, the, what was comfortable for them was to, for the disciples to get rid of those 
those parents and those kids that were um, messing around with the Lord's time and what they anticipated doing for the rest of the day. They're very quick to rebuke and they probably had their justification. Um, I mean, they were not idiots and they, they were men who knew the word of God about teaching children, but they, they nevertheless chose a course of action that was designed perhaps to protect the Lord Jesus from undue... It had been a very busy ministry period leading up to this time, exceedingly busy indeed, dealing with major issues, um, as we've got recorded there even in just that one chapter, leave alone going back a few chapters before that. Um, but what would have been... We don't need to be quick to condemn them because we're not innately better people than they were. And I could well imagine if I was there helping out that day, there would have been a very big risk that I would have been numbered amongst those who were chasing people away. You know, there would have been Peter, James, John doing it. Who am I to disagree with my brothers? If They seem to be... Um, they're elders and they know, they know what, what should be done. They are men who've been privileged by the Lord in certain ways. Um, one starts to wonder and it, it brings to mind the importance of us being before the Lord and in touch with heaven over the issues and the opportunities and the circumstances that touch our lives. Their motives may have been pretty good for protecting the Lord and yet they did not see things the way he saw them. Um, and you could understand the lesser of the group, or who could, who could disagree with that um, Peter and, and so on? Uh, he's doing it. Anyway, that, that sense of warning is there, I think, implicit in the story for all of us, that we don't just say, you know, stand back and be condemnatory of them for what they did, just tend to think a little bit of the pressures and the, the things that might have been impinging on them. Well, James gives us good advice um, if we lack wisdom in any circumstance to ask of God who gives to every man freely. And the Lord's not trying to keep us in the dark. If we need guidance, if we humbly acknowledge our need for his wisdom in a circumstance to ask of it and he'll grant it. Well, that was the rebukers, but it didn't take long until the rebukers were themselves rebuked. As we go through that inspired record, it's instructive to put the whole thing in context. It's only a few days earlier that the Lord Jesus used a little child. He had him, took him up in his arms. The record's in the previous chapter, chapter 18, first few verses of that chapter. He took these children up in his arms um, specifically to help to answer a question that was circulating in the group. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, the Lord Jesus um, had used that little child to show them. Uh, and he said, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, no doubt they would have heard many other um, expressions of tenderness and gentleness and patience on his part. Anyway, 
on this occasion, the, the Saviour had certainly shown his willingness, even in his insistence, on ministering to those who came seeking his blessing. And when he saw the parents of the children being rebuked, his response was immediate and emphatic. I'll give you his words from Mark's Gospel. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Those words are starting to sound a bit familiar to the blokes who had been there um, a couple of days earlier when chapter 18 was taking place. Luke's account adds another insight into our Lord's response. He says, but Jesus called them to him, Luke. Now, try and visualise this. This is presumably an outdoor situation. The Lord sees what's happening and he is not pleased he was in fact the scripture says he was greatly displeased and he was indignant and he called them to Peter James I've got something to say to you fellows and I would imagine that they would have seen the look on his face the the indignation the anger this is there's only a few occasions when the Lord Jesus is recorded as being angry with the, the disciples and this was one of them. Greatly displeased, indignant. And the unambiguous teaching here is that the disciples were wrong. They were very wrong. And the Lord Jesus' reaction was emphatic and very moving. He ensured in a few moments that the parents on that specific occasion were not hindered from bringing their children to him. But there was a bigger issue here. He called them to him. He had a message for those men that was going to impact and intended to impact the church forever. Only a little while into the future now, the church is going to be established under the leadership of these group of men and they needed to get this matter right. And the Lord was putting them right. He called them to him and he expressed his intention. And it conveyed in very strong terms to those men that um, in future generations of the church, children were to be welcomed and brought to him. Mark's indication was that he was greatly displeased and indignant. And... Um, I mentioned before about looking at John MacArthur's commentary on this passage and he sort of um, tries to praise the Lord's response and he says this, and it's, I'm only quoting um, MacArthur on Mark 10:14. The Lord was therefore saying, let the children alone beginning immediately and stop hindering them from coming to me. Well... Um, he was certainly stopping them. Very important message to the disciples, an important message that comes down the generations to us in the church today. But the series of events did not stop there. The children came to the Lord Jesus and 
the scripture says in Mark 10:15, he took them up in his arms. It's beautiful language. Took them up in his arms, it indicates that he enfolded them as you try to do with a baby, with me in one squeal this morning as soon as I took her up. But he, when you take a baby up into your arms, there's a gentleness, a tenderness. There's a, a, an expression of loving intention towards them. And that's all implicit in the language there. He took them up in his arms. The Lord Jesus was receptive to those children. He was wanting them to come and receive the blessing that he alone could impart. And Mark goes on. He took them up in his arms and blessed them. He had something to impart to them. He had a benediction to impart for each of those precious children. Well, we could say perhaps a little more about that, but we should just move quickly on and see that there is also in this passage and in this event what we could call a salvation analogy, an indication of what it means to become a Christian person. <clears throat> Let me quote our Saviour's words from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10 at verse 15. He says this, it almost looks like an addition to dealing with the situation of the moment. He's giving a, um, an interpretation of this important event for all of us. He goes on, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. There's no way into the kingdom of God by the works, the sort of things that the Pharisees who were hanging around would have been trying to do to earn their way into heaven. The Lord Jesus is making it crystal clear that no person, young or old, can enter the kingdom of God on the basis of what they do. We can't earn salvation. We can't merit God's gift of eternal life. And our Lord here is using this situation, this opportunity, this um, series of events to show that there is one way and only one way. And it's put clearly by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 at 8 and 9 that by grace you are saved through faith. That is, by God's unmerited favour by something that we cannot do but which has been done on our behalf by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and the hymn writer Augustus Toplady we were singing this last Sunday evening here <clears throat> writes it in different words saying nothing in my hand I bring Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. If we want salvation, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we do it on that basis, not of works. Truly I say to you, our Saviour said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. The only people who come into God's kingdom 
come to him in simplicity, openness, dependency, lack of pretension, lack of hypocrisy, and seek the Lord and receive his salvation. The way is beautifully summed up by the, um, the uh, I think, very clever phrase that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, just to summarise the few points that we've taken, not just for the children but for us, certainly the Lord's great and special love for children and his desire to bless them, our individual and collective responsibility to facilitate children being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, primary responsibility on parents to thus bring their children to Christ, collective responsibility for a church to be like an uh, extended Christian family to bring them to Christ, and recognising that the way of salvation for each of us involves the exercise of simple, saving faith in the person and redeeming work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do want to thank you this morning for entrusting your word to us. We thank you for this event recorded so faithfully and in such detail by the uh, three gospel writers. And we rejoice to know that Christ loves us in all our need and dependence. We want to thank you that the way of salvation has been portrayed to us, that each of us, Christian and yet-to-be Christian, have something to take from this portion of your precious word. And so we commend one another to you that we might each be moved, exercised by the Spirit of God as to our responses to and our actions in relation to this precious portion of your word. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forever. Amen.